0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, you as cashback. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This is the Intelligence Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell.
1: It's not unreasonable to think that uh, Saudi leadership were probably aware of an interrogation. The idea that that a murder was approved by the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is something that I've seen no evidence for this. It's not in the
0: DNA of their past operational activity. Do you have any thoughts on what happens when the dust settles here and it finally becomes clear what actually happened in Istanbul and who knew about it?
1: So I think it's important that even before the dust settles, we maintain our campaign to require a thorough, uh, transparent and uh, prompt investigation with the most severe punishment possible for those who are deemed to have been involved in the murder. I think that's important, not just so that the Saudis and others in the region understand you can't, shouldn't do this, but I think we need to send a message to the world that you need need
0: to protect journalists. Welcome to Intelligence Matters. I'm Sandy Winnefeld, filling in for Michael Morrell. Michael's traveling overseas for the next few weeks and asked me to fill in as a guest host in his absence. Michael's a close friend, and I agreed to help. I look forward to bringing you my conversations with some new and interesting guests until Michael returns from his travels. In the spirit of transparency, I should mention that I serve on the board of Raytheon, which sponsors Intelligence Matters. I want to make clear that Raytheon has not asked me to host the podcast in general or this episode in particular. I'm not being compensated to host and the views expressed in this discussion don't necessarily represent the views of Raytheon. With that, let's get started. Our guest today is Norm Rule, a career intelligence official with near unparalleled experience in the Middle East. Until last year, Norm served as the National Intelligence Manager for Iran at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where he was tasked with overseeing all aspects of our nation's intelligence policy towards Tehran. He spent 34 years at the CIA managing a variety of programs related to the Middle East, and he's worked with five U.S. presidents and senior officials throughout the U.S. government on key counterintelligence, counterproliferation, and counterterrorism challenges. Now, there are few people in the world as knowledgeable about the Middle East as Norm Rule. I would add that in hundreds of White House Situation Room meetings we attended together, I know of no one else who could captivate that group with apolitical credibility and knowledge as well as Norm Rule. Norm happens to have just returned from a week-long trip to Saudi Arabia, where he met with very senior Saudi officials and dozens of citizens. And he joins us today to talk about the kingdom's modernization efforts— its role in the conflict and Yemen, of course, and the unfolding diplomatic crisis involving the death of Amal Khashoggi, who disappeared earlier this month in Istanbul after entering the Saudi consulate. I'm Sandy Winnefeld, filling in for Michael Morrell on Intelligence Matters. Norm, welcome back to Intelligence Matters, and thank you for presumably overcoming some jet lag to be with us today.
1: My pleasure, Sandy. It's good to uh, be here, and it's good to see you again.
0: Well, you've been watching the Saudis for a long time, and we'll want to hear all about what you learned on your visit and get into the turbulence injected by the Shaggy case in a bit. But I'd like to start by asking you a few big picture questions. And first, I think very relevant to this conversation is why is the the relationship we have with Saudi Arabia so important to the United States?
1: The Saudi relationship with the United States is important not just because of oil, not just because of uh, uh, counterterrorism. The relationship is important because of Saudi Arabia's location on the map. Uh, on one side of the country, they've got the Red Sea and the Babel Mandab, through which pass more than 15% of the globe's trade and 4.6 million barrels of oil a day. Saudi Arabia's economic success is vital to the uh, success of East Africa, as well as to Jordan and Egypt. Uh, Saudi Arabia's role in Islam is critical if we wish to uh, ensure that Islam has a normative. A style and, and avoids extremism, it is, it is critical we have Saudi Arabia as a partner. Saudi Arabia is also important on counterterrorism, counterterrorism financing. And of course, there's Iran, Iraq, Syria. They are a valuable partner. I'll close with one note. I have been present in multiple meetings in my career where the Saudis have supported U.S. and Western policy in the reason, region, often for no, with little credit for themselves. And as part of this, I can say realizing the role of Saudi nationals in 9-11, that the Saudis have been responsible for saving the lives of hundreds, if not a few thousand, Americans, to include war fighters.
0: Okay, well, you've met with the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, as we like to call him, several times. Can you tell us a little bit about what he's like and why you think he's made so many bold moves to change Saudi society and economics and how you see that all playing out? Is this a classic case of a reforming authoritarian or is there something else going on here?
1: So in, in fairness, uh, uh, accuracy is always important in the realm of intelligence, even for retired intelligence officers. I did not meet with him on this particular trip. The, the Saudi crown prince, in my view, is engaged in three simultaneous uh, uh, programs. First, he is attempting to modernize and transform the, the society of Saudi Arabia. And there, I think he's had considerable success. Second, I believe he 's attempting to narrow the power of the royal family to uh, rid the kingdom of uh, of fiefdoms of power and and corruption. Here, I believe he 's also had success, although he 's paid the price of being uh, perceived as an authoritarian, and uh, many of those from whom um, let 's say they 've been relieved of some of their their riches have uh, have grumbled and complained in the west and finally he 's reasserting. The role of Saudi Arabia as a a leader in the region, and this is uh, uh, resulting in pressure against
0: Qatar and uh, pressure and and their and their campaign in Yemen. Speaking of Yemen, how do you see the war in Yemen vis-à-vis the Kingdom? Clearly, the Kingdom felt threatened by Iranian influence in that country. Neither side has gained the high ground in this conflict. With the Iranian-backed Houthis indiscriminately firing large numbers of ballistic missiles into the Kingdom, but also the Saudi-led coalition doing a very poor job of avoiding civilian casualties. Kingdom seems to be on the losing side in the messaging war. There, what do you see going on, and how does this end? So, most importantly, I think uh, it's fair to say that they've lost the messaging war,
1: uh, and they realize this at the same time. And again, as you know, Sandy, I'm a fact guy. I don't do opinions on the mm-hmm. other side, and I don't I don't speculate, and I don't do opinions. As I say I do uh, judgments in my own non-analytical way. Um, the Saudis have had some considerable success in the conflict. And it's also for them an existential conflict. The uh, Houthi tribesmen um, have attacked Saudi Arabia itself prior to the crown prince coming to office, indeed, by a year or two. It inflicted losses on their southern border. Uh, they entered Yemen as part of a UN mandated coalition. So they entered thinking we're part of, we're doing what the UN would like us to do. This is extraordinarily difficult and rough terrain. The Houthis are closer to an ideological. A mix of Lebanese Hezbollah and ISIS. They are not diplomats. They will not show up to negotiate. And finally, the Saudis and the Emiratis and the Kuwaitis have provided Yemen with almost $15 billion of humanitarian aid. It's the largest aid campaign ever undertaken in the Middle East, I believe. Strangely, although there are uh, 12 million Yemenis who are in um, danger of famine, uh, in many parts of Yemen, the situation is actually uh, Uh, significantly improved where you have famine uh, is primarily in areas under Houthi control. And the reasons for the famine, it's less the absence of food. And it's more that the Houthis charge so much for uh, food as a result of their taxes and checkpoints that no one in those areas can afford it. Uh, So the Saudis are stuck unless they can force the Houthis to come to the table, uh, which the Houthis are unwilling to do. They uh, will continue to lose the uh, messaging war, and this conflict will continue. And the most important part of the conflict is the Yemeni people will continue to suffer.
0: Do any of your interactions in Saudi Arabia intersect the the issue of civilian casualties and and how the Saudis are are approaching that problem?
1: Routinely. And, in fact, I had uh, uh, significant discussions with some military personnel on how they handle that and challenged them on this issue. Uh, They were... Uh, very transparent in their targeting um, procedures and their successes and open about when mistakes are made, how they've attempted to learn from them and punish the people who are involved. Uh, For example, there have been 14,000 coordinated travel events in Yemen involving aid convoys or the United Nations. There's never been a single mistake. When children are killed, the Saudis are confronted with, uh, first, an issue of the Houthis are one of the largest employers of children uh, as war fighters in the region, everyone in Yemen seems to carry a uh, an AK-47. It makes intelligence collection uh, difficult, and uh, the Houthis have a well-oiled propaganda machine, which which they roll out. Uh, a couple of uh, examples: the uh, Saudis have told me that they have at least two court martial cases underway to punish people who didn't follow. Uh, the protocols. They also showed me a 40-step protocol to undertake any operation, uh, which ends with the local commander of the operation has the ability to turn off any uh, firing if he believes there is information which would indicate a uh, a likelihood of civilian casualties.
0: Okay. And, you know, as as we mentioned, the messaging war is not going that well. And now we have this um, incident that that occurred in Istanbul, the Ashogi case. Uh, Regarding the event itself, the Saudis this weekend uh, outlined their story of what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, essentially that he was killed after a fistfight broke out in the consulate. It took them a long time to get this information out, even after a number of vehement denials and reversals. Is, Is their version of events credible? Was this, in your view, an assassination or an interrogation or a rendition? At the tactical level, what do you really see that was going on there?
1: So let me begin by saying that this is a tragedy for uh, the Khashoggi family and for his fiancée. And it's important that we not lose sight of the human aspect of this. Uh, Something terrible happened to a a journalist and his family is suffering as well. Uh, The second aspect of this is that this is an ongoing situation. The Turks have Leaked information in the most lurid and of graphic nature, uh, probably in an effort to extract some sort of financial concessions from the from the Saudis. Uh, in the intelligence community in my DNA, even as a retired intelligence officer, we we don't speculate. we base things off of facts. So the facts I would throw forward are as fault would be as follows: The Saudis have no recent history of engaging in um, uh, assassination activity. Uh, Abroad And even the alleged activities of the past are are many, many years ago and may not have occurred. Um, They do have a history of of renditions, and uh, uh, this would support the statement that they were this was maybe a botched arrest or rendition attempt or even interrogation. Uh, There were no senior Saudi officials who have been relieved as a result of this in the intelligence services. Uh, This was a an amateurish operation uh, based off of the press reporting that I that I have seen that has come out. And I believe the Saudis absolutely understand the message delivered by the U.S. government, which I understand was delivered in the strongest terms by Secretary of State Pompeo, that the investigation must be transparent, uh, must be thorough, must be prompt, and the punishment uh, provided to, the, uh, to those who are deemed to have been involved uh, must be uh, severe and significant. Um, the Saudis understand this is something that uh, cannot be repeated and that procedures must be put in place to assure it can never be done again.
0: So it almost seems like sort of a two-by-two matrix where, you know, was this a blatant assassination attempt or a rendition? And you've already weighed in on that. And then the other is, what did the Saudi leadership know about this? And if you look at the various squares in that matrix, there's obviously one very bad square, which would be this was an assassination and the senior levels knew about it. But there are other squares as well. And I know you don't want to speculate, but what, what do you think the likelihood is that the senior Saudi leadership was aware of an operation like this going on?
1: Right. Well, um, it's not unreasonable to think that uh, Saudi leadership up to the crown prince uh, were probably aware of a, a rendition or at least uh, an, an or an interrogation. But uh, the idea that it, that a murder was approved by the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is something that um, uh, I've seen no evidence for this. It's not in the, the, the DNA of their past operational activity. And I'll throw out one more um, one more comment. Almost to a man and woman, I spoke with Saudi women on this on, on this trip. Uh, they wanted to they, they are hurting because of this event, and uh, a a common response I, I heard uh, uh, was that just as they understand that Abu Ghraib was not reflective of American values uh, or something that President Bush or Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld would have approved. Uh, this is not something that reflects Saudi values. These comments came uh, uh, perhaps most uh, uh, impassioned in a most impassioned way from those who have spent many years in the United States. I spoke with a few dozen people who have who spent fifteen to twenty years in the United States, and their their comment uniformly was, "This is not who we are. this is not who I am and There is a bit of pain that the entire country of Saudi Arabia is being painted. With this action, and they all realize that if the investigation leads to any evidence that something took place, which which appears to be uh, very likely, uh, that steps must be taken to punish those involved and to ensure that uh, this doesn't happen again.
0: So, Norm, why don't we, uh, as far as the likely impact of of this crisis, let's work our way from the inside out, inside Saudi Arabia to the region and then to the United States. We see that a number of key officials who were thought to be close to MBS were fired. They've detained another 18 nationals and probably importantly to restructure the way they approach problems like this. Uh, are the remedies they're suggesting enough? Do you see anything coming out of this that that we either negative or positive uh, in, in terms of going forward and how the Saudis act on the world stage?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. I think it's important that, again, we, we keep the focus on this is a tragedy and a crime and it must be thoroughly and, and appropriately investigated and punishment dealt out to those involved. But secondly, we need to make sure that the Saudis understand and have processes in place that this never happens again. And I think that's going to happen based off of the discussions I've, that I've had. And finally, I think it's imperative that we look at Saudi Arabia as an engine of modernization and economic stability in the region. The questions I ask people when they request my views on the kingdom are, imagine Saudi Arabia's modernization program succeeds. What does that mean for the kingdom The region and and for normative Islam, the world uh, and the war on extremism. Now, imagine it fails. What does it mean for the kingdom, the region, uh, and Islam and the and the counterterrorism campaign, et cetera, et cetera? Where should the United States fall? So, in my view, once that we move past this, we need to immediately engage that in supporting the process of modernization. Uh, I think it's telling that uh, I just happened to be out there at the time that we had the uh, U.S. special representatives on Syria, uh, I think on Daesh who came to country. I believe the Russian national security advisor was there. And, of course, the Yemeni war is underway with many children and civilians suffering. The problems of the region are ongoing while all this is taking place. And we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that these problems must be addressed or solved or
0: literally millions of lives are, are at risk. Now, Norm, you mentioned earlier that, in fact, the, the crown prince did consolidate power when he was named the crown prince, and in some ways maybe did it in a little bit of a heavy-handed way. Some would speculate that, there, that people may see this uh, event as a, a way of undermining his power, perhaps even displacing him. In your recent travels, did you get a sense for, for whether the knives are out for MBS or whether they, the country still supports him?
1: So I was in one city, speaking to uh, some dozens of people of various social and economic uh, and political uh, uh, import or stature. And uh, I saw no dissent against the crown prince. I saw worry and concern on this issue. I saw a uh, uniformly a sense that the Yemen war is something that is existential. The Saudis believe that they've had 200 missiles, not believe, they know they've had 200 missiles fired against their capital. I've met Yemeni Saudi Yemenis who are from the same tribes of uh, that go across the border into Yemen, and they view the Yemen conflict as something that must be pursued. But the Saudis are worried and concerned as to what the uh, Khashoggi uh, uh, death will mean for their stature and future. In, and well, they should be um, in, in the world. But I see no, no evidence that there was a we must remove the crown prince uh, or the king uh, who remains obviously in charge in, in the country.
0: Now, before we move on to the rest of the region, can you give me a, a sense for why the Saudis would be so concerned about a dissident, whether that was a rendition or whatever uh, gone wrong? Uh, why would they be so concerned about amal Khashoggi?
1: Well, it's a complicated, complicated issue.
0: And um, again, nothing
1: excuses the action which took place against uh, Jamal Khashoggi or actions that might be anywhere uh, in the neighborhood of that of that crime. Uh, The Saudis, I've seen seen this as well, the Saudis are very concerned that the rapid change of social transformation for the kingdom uh, risks uh, destabilization, and a region which endured the the catastrophic violence, the maelstrom of the Arab Spring, feels the threat of destabilization far more acutely than we do in the West. Um, The sense of the danger of the Muslim Brotherhood or uh, religious Islam in general is also something that we don't perceive here. I, I use a crude analogy that uh, if you're in Saudi Arabia uh, and you are connected to, say, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, that is akin to being in the United States in the uh, early 1950s and being perceived as a supporter of the Communist Party. Uh, it is something that will undercut and, and overcome the future of the country. The uh, same with Qatar that Qatar's support for political Islam is something that they view as a direct threat to the future of the regime and to their ability to undertake uh, reform. You know, for Saudi Arabia, they're in, a, they're in a terrifically demanding environment. I mean, just imagine this. You're reforming the country. You're transforming uh, the role of women in country. Uh, you're attempting to r- remove the oil economy as the basis for their uh, future. You're fighting a war in Yemen. You have a catastrophe in Syria on your borders. Egypt's economy looks weak. These are multi. Any one of these would challenge significantly a, a leadership. They're all happening at once in the kingdom.
0: That's tough. Um, speaking about the region, let's turn to that for just a moment. It would seem like uh, almost everybody in the region is a winner uh, while Saudi Arabia's reputation is, is suffering uh, from this incident. You know, the Iranians certainly are, are not unhappy to see this happening on the world stage. The Qataris who are in their own conflict uh, with the Saudis are probably not unhappy, but in particular, the Turks. What's going on with Turkey? Do you think this is a, a shakedown on the part of President Erdogan to try to get some financial gains from the Saudis? Or is this really a power play where he's trying to displace the Saudis as the leader of the Muslim world? You know, We've heard uh, speculation on both sides of that issue. And I know you're not gonna, in the mood to speculate, but what do you think's going on with the Turks here?
1: The Turkish dynamic in the region is is fascinating. You have a, uh, a growing concern that a sort of a neo-Ottoman uh, geographic influence campaign is underway. Its initial great concern for the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, and others, to see uh, Turkish troops in Qatar, to see a Turkish uh, a naval base being constructed in the Sudan, to uh, hear of Turkish ideological intrusions into Jerusalem, to uh, know that there are Muslim Brotherhood television stations that are being permitted in uh, Istanbul and Muslim Brotherhood conferences uh, allowed in Istanbul. There is a sense that Turkey is moving <coughs> south and bringing with it the ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood, which uh, again, as I mentioned before, is deemed as something that will undermine the the, the stability and indeed the existence of the uh, the governments of the region so first that is that that's the perspective of 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 this issue, and you 've got the Qatari, Turkish even Iranian kind of loose engagement that upsets people. I think the Turks may be attempting to uh, uh, find some solutions to their economic problems. I wouldn't speculate as to uh, whether or not they're asking for aid from the Saudis, but I I would be uh, uh, holding back if I said I wouldn't be surprised this is underway. Uh, The amount of uh, information that has been uh, dribbed and drabbed out indicate that they are attempting to raise the uh, uh, sort of raise the ante as to what would require them to
0: uh, be
1: more cooperative on the issue. Likewise, to undermine the Saudi reputation in the region.
0: So, Norm, this is clearly a tough issue for individuals like yourself who have friends in relationships in Saudi Arabia, for industries that have long operated in Saudi Arabia, such as the defense industry, and for governments as well that have long uh, created this relationship with Saudi Arabia on which we depend a good bit for the things we talked about earlier, counterterrorism and, and the like. But we also believe strongly in rule of law. How do you see in that light... The apparent gap between the White House and Congress, as this is playing out, you know, there are members of Congress who've been very, very vocal about uh, this incident, where the White House seems to be patiently trying, maybe even playing it down a little bit. Have you have you had a chance to think much about that?
1: I, I have, and uh, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about that because uh, uh, congressional uh, viewpoints on this uh, uh, have many bases, and they and I. I It's not really my lane. What I would say is that I I believe that arms sales in Saudi Arabia are sometimes misunderstood, or at least as I understand, a fair amount of them, particularly regarding Yemen. The one thing I think we would want for Saudi Saudi Arabia's military in Yemen is that they uh, are accurate, avoid civilian casualties, and uh, uh, bring the war to a conclusion which uh, allows a political solution for Yemen. Everyone would agree on that. They need the most precise weapons, they need good intelligence, and they need training to do that. I believe we should be part of that only because it reduces the likelihood that children will be killed and it reduces the likelihood this war war will extend. That doesn't mean children won't be killed through mistakes. It doesn't mean that this war won't last for a very long time. But I do believe if we pull out our support from the kingdom— we just raise the likelihood of civilian casualties. I, I confess, I don't know why that, that is lost on some of the players who are involved. Uh, but I again, I support our continued military assistance to the kingdom for that reason.
0: So if if um, this plays out, as it may well, based on, on what the Turks have been saying about this, do you see that there is the potential for uh, some kind of sanction? And we, we've talked a little bit about what those targets might be, whether they would be Uh, weapon sales or individuals, perhaps, or an economic type of thing. Do you see uh, a response from the United States as being important here? Uh, How would that play out in the international system if we don't, in terms of rule of law? Do you have any thoughts on what happens when the dust settles here and it finally becomes clear what actually happened in Istanbul and who knew about it?
1: Right. So I think it's important that even before the dust settles, we maintain our campaign to require a thorough, uh, transparent and a prompt investigation with the most severe punishment possible for those who are deemed to have been involved in the murder and punishment for those involved in this operation. And I, I think that's important, not just so that the Saudis and others in the region understand you can't, shouldn't do this, but I think we need to send a message to the world that you need to protect journalists. You need to make sure that journalists are not targets. And when someone targets a journalist, there is a severe price to pay for that. I think there's actually too little of that done. And I fear that if we don't follow this approach, it might actually encourage other countries to continue the assault on journalists. And too many journalists are dying in conflicts. Now, this said, as, as moving forward, I would not be surprised if the Magnitsky Act uh, were pursued and those individuals who were involved have have sanctions. I don't know how high up that will go. I base my views on evidence. I don't speculate on what may happen in a conversation between two people to, in the end, to say who ordered what did the crown prince order specific act. In my old world, we would want to know what is the evidence for that. And to make a decision, you really have to make that on more than I think. And and with respect to the to the fourth estate and media in general, uh, I think there's been a lot of, of condemnation in the press that is uh, not based on facts, but may now be based on an echo chamber of the real pain, um, the real concern that is that this action is generated. So I would say during the uh, the, the investigation, maintain the pressure. After the investigation, punish those involved with sanctions to, so again, carry that message. But let's be careful that speculation and gut feelings don't uh, drive a
0: policy. That's a bad trend to set. Norm, uh, realizing that the investigation needs to play out, the Turks are conducting an investigation, there's been some cooperation with the Saudis, the Saudis are doing their own investigation, hopefully a transparent one, as we've discussed. Do you think that we actually might, our intelligence community, have been given access to the tape that the Turks claim to have? And if what we hear on that tape actually, and this is a big if, conflicts with the Saudi account, do you think there's an obligation to make those facts public?
1: Well, First, I don't comment on intelligence issues, but it, were we to gain access to a tape, which may or may not exist, I don't know that it exists and understand Secretary Pompeo Uh, staff at the very least, and the president have stated that he has has, has not seen it. But were we to obtain evidence either in the tape or in any other format that causes us to believe that there is a problem with the investigation in the kingdom, we should absolutely uh, approach the kingdom at a high level and discuss the uh, issue with them. But in the end of the day, what we're looking for is an investigation that that holds those individuals uh, who are involved with this culpable and sends a message to the world that you cannot harm uh, journalists or non-journalists in this fashion. So I think it's less if we hear a tape and we hear something on it that doesn't come out in the investigation and more if we acquire any evidence that tells us that the culpable are being let off the hook or the system has not been put in place to fix this from happening again. Then we must approach the Saudis and, and, and deal with this.
0: Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting couple of weeks as this plays out and as it will. I would ask, though, as a sort of a final question, in light of everything we've discussed today, Norm, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the trajectory of the kingdom and its relationship with the rest of the world?
1: So this will sound strange, and uh, I, I'm only an observer of the kingdom, although I've been doing it for, gracious, uh, about 35 years. But I am optimistic to talk to the youth of Saudi Arabia and 70%, approximately 70% of the kingdom is under the age of 35, to watch uh, girls uh, sit in front of an IHOP uh, with no abaya or headdress and sing happy birthday to watch uh, young boys and girls speak to each other in public. That the 200,000 Saudis are now drivers for Uber. That uh, you have Saudis running food trucks. The society is transforming in the direction we wish. I do believe the Yemen war is something that needs to end soon. I'm not very optimistic about that. And uh, the Saudis will often say we would like it to end as well, but the Houthis will not negotiate unless we put military pressure on them. And therefore, I think that military pressure will extend the conflict. But in general, I'm optimistic on the kingdom, um, if only because the the people who are running it at the ministerial level are some of the best trained and ethical people I know. Now, I'm I'm not a paid spokesman for the Saudi government. But I know a handful and a half of Saudi ministers who have their degrees from Harvard and Stanford and small schools in the Midwest and have spent 15 years in the United States. Their English is superb and they understand us and our sports teams very well. Um, I have confidence in their leadership and they're, they're fine people. And therefore, I think this will work out in the end, but it's a bumpy, slow road.
0: Well, Norm, thank you so much for coming in and being with us today on the wake of what must have been a very tiring jet lag trip coming home uh, from Saudi Arabia. We look forward to having the opportunity to talk to you again in the future. And uh, once again, thanks for being with us.
1: My pleasure. This is a great show. Thank you.
0: That was Norm Rule. I'm Sandy Winnefeld, filling in for Michael Morrell. Please join us again next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters. This has been the Intelligence Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell. The podcast is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, and Claire Himes. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you download podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at IntelMattersPod. And follow Michael at Michael J. Morrell. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News Radio. Look around. You can find cars
1: like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail.